I am Bill Cartwright with Living Right with Bill Cartwright. And this is the Stress Mastery Podcast, where we take you from the science to the spirituality of stress mastery. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Stress Mastery Podcast. I am your host, Bill Cartwright. This week, our topic has been peace. And today, we will continue our book study, Living Untethered by Michael Singer. So this week, the topic has been peace, and I kicked it off on Setup Sunday, talking about the peace purpose. On Monday with the Super Millennial, David talked about nurturing peace in the digital age. On this week's Health Huddles, Tuesday, we talked on body and harmony. On Wednesday's Ego Maniac, Patrick Garner talked about challenges with his own routine. And yesterday's Connection Thursday, we talked on living your truth. And today we will continue our book study, Living Untethered by Michael Singer. And tomorrow we will close out our week discussing peace with our very own Coach Peggy. So David's under the weather, so I'm still doing a couple solo episodes here. And today we're going to continue our book study, Living Untethered by Michael Singer. Now, I got a lot of uh, great comments about yesterday's uh, podcast. I know it was a deep one, but here's the, the, the strange coincidence is, this chapter, and I did not realize that this was going to be the chapter. Yes, I read this book many, many months ago. So I'm taking it as one chapter at a time as I'm teaching it, and it happens to be a lot of what we talked about yesterday. So coincidence or no coincidence, it's going to tie in a lot to yesterday's Connection Thursday on what is living your truth. So as we continue the book, we are now in chapter eight of Michael Singer's Living Untethered. And Chapter 8 is the origin of matter. If you study the origin of matter, you'll find that scientists throughout the world pretty much agree on a basic model of creation. They have an understanding that about 13.8 billion years ago, there was a giant explosion called the Big Bang. Prior to this explosion, it is thought that all galaxies, that all galaxies and everything within them, all the mass and matter of the universe fit into a space smaller than an atom. This is a modern science speaking, not some crazy theory. With awe and appreciation as our goal, let's explore how the science of creation can serve to liberate us spiritually. After the Big Bang, the energy expanding out was so hot that it didn't have any shape or form. It was just unbridled radiation. Within a fraction of a second, subatomic particles begin to began to form from this energy field. No elements as we know them could form because the radiation was too hot and it was expanding out at the light of the, the speed of light. Thus the entire universe was without form for about 380,000 years. After that the radiation cooled down enough to where the fundamental forces of gravity and electromagnetism could pull the subatomic particles together to form the first atoms. We know these subatomic particles as electrons, neutrons, and protons. It was all born from the primordial energy field and the subatomic particles emanating from that field. Modern science calls this the quantum field. And quantum physics is the science that studies these subatomic particles and how they create matter as we know it. 
that was the field and, and as a pause here that was from yesterday's episode when i was talking on the field that's what it is let's continue the first atoms were hydrogen because it was the simplest structure one negative electron one positive proton because of the force of magnetism these particles attracted each other to form an atom as as hydrogen atoms began to form masses and masses of thick hydrogen gas clouds accumulated as these clouds thinned out subatomic light particles called photons started to escape and that was the beginning of light as we know it. Interesting that the Bible says, in the beginning, the earth was out form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. This is pretty close to how science sees it. In those beginning times, no light could escape from the ultra-thick gas clouds. Once the expansion thinned the clouds out enough, suddenly let there be light, and there was light. Genesis Chapter 1, verse 3. It's amazing the similarity of the beginning of creation as told in Genesis and as presented in the modern scientifically-based cosmology. Now that we see where hydrogen atoms come from, we can explore the source of other elements that make up our world. As the expansion slowed down even more, another one of the fundamental forces came into play, the force of gravity. Gravity, of course, is the force that has the effect of pulling together objects that have mass. Since hydrogen atoms have mass, as atoms were pulled closer together, the gravity became so strong that it fused two atoms into one. Now, when these two hydrogen nuclei fuse into one, a helium atom is created. This process is fusing lighter elements into heavier ones is called nuclear fusion. And it's been going on throughout the universe for hundreds of millions of years. It is worth noting that every single time this fusion of two atoms takes place, there is a tremendous release of atomic energy. All of a sudden, nuclear explosions began taking place throughout the universe, releasing powerful radiant energy. This is the truth. This is the birth of what we call the primary stars. A star is born by fusing together of hydrogen atoms, which releases tremendous amounts of energy, leaves helium atoms as its byproduct. You can think of helium as the ash left behind by this hydrogen fusion process. Wherever the clouds of hydrogen gas were thickest after the Big Bang, the first primary stars started to burn. That is literally where stars come from. Every star you look at to this day was born through the hydrogen fusion process. Though this all started 13.8 billion years ago, we have scientific evidence of it today. Stars are being born right now, and we can observe the process if we have binoculars strong enough to see the Orion Nebula. You will see gases with stars shining inside. Nubula, like the Orion, nubula, like the Orion and Horsehead, are not just beautiful pictures of glowing colorful gas clouds. They're nurseries for stars. Stars are being born inside those gas clouds via the exact same process that happened 13.8 billion years ago when the first stars were created. Stars are born and we shall see also die in a cosmic cycle of life mirroring what is going on here on Earth. In our exploration thus far, 
We have a universe limited to hydrogen, helium gases, and brilliant burning stars that light up the cosmos. But the outer world we interact with each day is much more complex. Where did the rest come from? To understand this, we must first take a closer look at the life cycle of a star. As the hydrogen gases within a star keep fusing, gravity pulls the produced helium into the core of the star because helium is heavier than hydrogen. This increases the gravitational pull of the core enough to offset the outward radiance of the explosions caused by the hydrogen fusion. This is how the star stays stable. What happens when the star runs out of hydrogen to fuse? The star will start to die. In the early stages of the dying process, any hydrogen remaining outside the core will ignite and expand outward to create a red giant star that is many times the size of its original star. To put this in perspective, when a star the size of our sun begins to run out of hydrogen to burn, it will expand into a red giant large enough to swallow the earth. But don't worry, scientists estimate that our sun has enough hydrogen to burn for another 5 billion years. Meanwhile, as a star stops fusing hydrogen, the gravitational pull of the helium core will become greater and greater because there are no longer fusion explosions to offset it. The star will start to collapse into its core. Depending upon the or original size of the star, its core will either drift off into space or the increased force of gravity on the core will become great enough to begin fusing helium into a more complex element such as carbon. The fusion process of these more complex elements will, will reignite the star, re I'm sorry, reignite the star even hotter than before. Depending upon the size of the star, these death throes can go on again and again. Cycle after cycle, more and more complex elements will become the byproduct of fusion of the lighter elements. And eventually the star will begin to collapse again as it runs out of fuel. Every time this death cycle takes place, more and more elements of the periodic table are created. How many of these cycles of death and rebirth a star will go through is dependent upon the original size of the star. The larger the star, the greater gravitational pull exerted during its collapse, and thus the greater force available to reignite the fusion process of more complex elements. In most stars, this process will stop when the byproduct of fusion is iron, element 26 in the periodic table. This is because iron absorbs more heat during fusion than the fusion process creates. Thus, iron will sustain a fusion reaction. Large stars will progress until they have cores of iron surrounded by shells by re the remaining elements from the previous cycles that were not fully burned. This is how the lighter elements of the periodic table 1 to 26 were created, all the elements from hydrogen to iron. And interesting and educational as all this is, remember that the purpose of this discussion is to see where the outside world comes from. As amazing as it seems, the elements that make up our world were forged in the stars. Take your body, for example. We've already explained where all the elements that make up your body come from. They are direct byproducts of what makes the stars shine. Almost 99% of the mass of the human body is made up of six elements. Oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, calcium, and phosphorus. All of this, all of these elements are lighter than iron and thus were produced by the burning of commonplace stars. We know all of this as a fact, not theory. Scientists have studied stars 
at all stages of the stellar life cycle, and we know that they are made of. We know what they are made of. Regardless, some people ask, don't these scientific facts challenge my belief that God is the creator of the universe? An appropriate response would be, of course not. They merely show you how God created all the structures in the universe. The stars are the furnaces that were used to create the universe. Every single atom you interact with was created in the stars. And at this very moment, billions and billions of stars are forging new elements. In Pittsburgh, we have steel furnaces that are so hot we can forge steel. We use that material to build our giant skyscrapers. Likewise, the stars are the furnaces that have forged the atoms we interact with every day. Hopefully, you will never look up at the stars in the same way. So this is an interesting chapter. As you can see, it's very scientific. And I know many of my listeners don't like science that much. And the moment the science starts in, they shut down. And then I have another group of listeners that don't like the spirituality very much. And when spirituality comes in, they shut down. But can you see what is being taught in this chapter? See, when the religious people hear about science, they shut down immediately. And when the scientist hears about religions and spirituality, they shut down immediately. This is where everything has to start to come together because everything is one. I personally have been studying science and spirituality in, in session together. And this was because my mentor, Dan, did teach me. I was learning the science of of how the body functions, science of how food works, science of how um, we grow, the sciences of um, the body and, and, and things. And meanwhile, I was also being taught philosophy and spirituality and the power of the mind and all these things simultaneously. And it really did help me because it allowed me to reach out and study both of these, looking not at them as differences, but looking at them as alliances. Science and religion are alliance. If we could bring that alliance into view, I think we could shift the planet much faster. It's this separation or this illusion of separation that one is right and one is wrong. We talked about truth yesterday. And when we talk about truth, we always have to talk about reality in the objective reality. What is the facts? See, what's being presented here is objective reality. And like when I work with a person, I believe in objective reality. That's why I look at blood work. That's why I look at uh, certain metrics and things like that. I want to see what really is happening. Objective reality is what is. Yet we live in through our subjective reality. That is our personal reality. We, Our behavior, our world is seen through that subjective reality of the programmed identity held in mind, where you have to open yourself up if you want to live in a higher realm, a higher consciousness, a higher energy, whatever we want to call it. If you just want to live a more exciting, connected life, we have to open up to the fact that what we see isn't always the truth. And we also have to open up to understand um, the, that the human being functions and operates in a very particular fashion and that each of us was programmed with our current reality. Unless you step out of your current reality, which is your habits, your behavior, your life as you see it, 
and self-author a new reality, you are actually living a life that was set for you. And you're seeing the world at through a lens of a programmed identity that was set for you. And that is not truth. And when we talk about our objective reality is what is, our subjective reality is our personal reality of what we believe. But what about intersubjective reality? So we've talked a lot about energies the last couple of days, peace, you know, being in harmony. Well, intersubjective reality only takes place when one, when, I'm sorry, when two or more humans have the same belief. In other words, I always use religion. If you don't have two human beings, do you still have religion? And the answer is no, you don't. But if you don't have human beings at all, do you still have God? And as we're reading this chapter, the answer is yes. God is energy. It's light. It's everything. It's the field. It's still there, whether the human's there or it's or they're not. But to have a religion, you have to have belief systems. And to have that, you have to have at least two people that believe in the same thing. And what is that? That's an intersubjective reality where they fuse their subjective realities into a picture, a belief system. And that's when we get into trouble, because that's when we get into the separation factor, us against them. So if we look at some of the things that have been taught, though, by the great teachers, let's just look at a teaching by Jesus, which I think is very incredible. This comes from Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. It's called the lamp of the body. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? All right, my Christian brothers and sisters, slow down for a minute. What does he say? The lamp of the body is the eye. Not eyes, the eye. The eye is your third eye. And let's bring that into science. That's where the pineal gland works. That's where the vagus nerve attaches. That's where the green zone turns on. That's where the cortex brain goes in. That is the third eye. And when you are connected, it says, if therefore your eye is good, means you're connected to the green zone, your whole body will be full of light. What is light? Energy. This is what raises your energy. That's what heals the body. The recuperation system is in the green zone. It's not in the red zone. It's not in stress. It's not in worry. And that is what Jesus is saying here. So when I hear people getting kicked out of churches because they start a yoga class or they get kicked out of their groups because they talk about meditation, it's a ridiculous, ridiculous separation, people. Stop. If you're going to follow a teacher, follow the teacher. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. What is the light? It's the vital force. It's increase in energy in the body. It's recuperation. But if your eye is bad, what is bad? That means you don't have conscious mind control. That's the cage mind. Who's controlling the eye? The ego. Your whole body will be full of darkness. What is the darkness? That is the heaviness of the red zone. That is the heaviness of depression, of restriction, state of fear. It's the heaviness of anger. That's what he's saying. The whole body will be full of darkness. Of course it will, because the body supports the mind. 
So if your eye is in the red zone, sympathetic nervous system, cortex brain, we, I'm sorry, limbic brain, we bring it all the science, you can see how religion and science come together here because it's absolutely, that is the truth. And this is just one example that's all throughout the Bible and all throughout science where we can bring the two together. And once we bring these together and we start looking at things in objective reality, the truth of what is, we will then create the shift on the planet. That's it for today's show. Our mission here is to create a shift in the planet. You can join us on this mission by simply like, share, and subscribe. The links are right below the show notes. As always, until next time, stay inspired.